Welcome to episode 22 of You Are Not A Frog, The Perils of Perfectionism. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boils alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. Okay, so on with the episode. So this episode, I'm really pleased to have a good friend of mine, Nikki Odgers. Um, We talk about growth mindset. We talk about perfectionism and the perils of perfectionism. I don't know about you, but most of the people I work with, and I probably would include myself in that, have a little tiny perfectionist streak. Uh, We don't like to fail we don't like negative criticism and we tend to dwell on things that have gone wrong. So I think this this episode is a really interesting one that just lets us maybe shift our mindset a little bit to think that actually failure is, is a good thing, otherwise we never learn to be able to see feedback as information. So I hope you enjoy it. So it's really great to have me on the podcast today, Nikki Odgers, a good friend of mine and our uh, personal friendship group parenting guru. <laughs> Although I, she's now pulling a face, she hates us calling her that. <laughs> if you have a problem, you ask Nikki. She's always read about the solution, got a solution, seen a child with a problem before, or knows exactly what to do. And that's because Nikki's also not only an amazingly wise person, but you are an educational psychologist, aren't you? I am, yeah. And a teacher, too. Well, I... I have taught in the past, but not for many years. Yeah, I used to teach in a secondary school. Yeah. yeah. And you have a master's in educational leadership as well? Yes, I do. So, yeah, so I'm a qualified educational psychologist. And as well as that, I've been very involved in school governance. So I've been um, involved in education leadership as well over the last little while. There we are. So, and she says she's not a guru. <laughs> 
all those things, all those things. So I thought it'd be really useful to talk to Nikki today because one thing that we discuss a lot is perfectionism and how when we were growing up at school, you were either really brilliant at something or you weren't. And I have noticed that as doctors, that is something that we find very difficult. Our sort of, I think, our own perfectionist tendencies. And those are the things that seem to really interfere with our resilience. So having this concept of something's good enough often makes us sort of stay and do that extra work, even though we don't have time to. And then there's also the concept of, I mustn't ever fail at something. And I guess when you're a doctor, you don't want to fail because that that could be a serious patient error or mucking up. But sometimes you just don't actually know what the right solution or the right thing is. And we then beat ourselves up thinking we're absolutely terrible because we can't do it. So I know, Nikki, you've read a lot about growth mindset. We've often chatted about it. But first of all, can I just ask, how do you define growth mindsets? So the idea of growth and fixed mindset comes from research that's been undertaken by a lady called Carol Dweck in America. And she did lots of research and came up with a theory which said that some people believe that they have innate qualities um, that they're just born with and that stay fixed throughout people's lives. And they affect things like your intelligence or your sporting ability or your artistic ability or how sociable you are. And so what she says is that people who have a fixed mindset believe that these qualities are fixed pretty much at birth. But on the flip side, there are other people who hold alternative beliefs and they believe in what she calls a growth mindset. So a growth mindset is that you people are born with a variety of talents and natural attributes, but who knows what those people can achieve given the right amount of effort and uh, appropriate support. And so she has looked at, or she's done lots of research into kids and adolescents and students and also grown-ups around whether people have fixed or growth mindsets. And then she has been able to show that if you have a a fixed mindset, then uh, certain things tend to happen to you when you experience tricky situations and this is different to how people with growth mindsets cope with challenges and potential failures. So how might someone with a fixed mindset really suffer when they encounter failure? So that's really interesting sort of really gets to the core of it. So just imagine if you have a fixed mindset and you believe that you do well in your exams because you are smart And you think, basically, I'm just born smart, you know, and you've probably been given that message while you're you're at home, you know, growing up, your your parents might have said, oh, you know, well done, Rachel, you know, you're so smart, you're brilliant, you did ace that exam. Occasionally said that, not not often. (laughs) So what happens then is that success is not just about I did well in something, it is I am a success, Mm. I am a success. Which works brilliantly while things are going well and you're achieving and, you know, things are fantastic. But when you experience failure, the flip side of that is not just I have failed. The flip side is I am a failure. And that can have absolutely catastrophic effects on people's self-esteem. They can feel very depressed, has downs- terrible, can, can have very downside on people's mood. It means that on the whole you try and avoid challenges because... Mm. 
They are an existential threat to your sense of who you are. On the flip side, though, those who have a growth mindset will experience failure in a very different way. So if they do an exam, for instance, and it goes badly wrong, instead of saying, I'm a failure, they'll say, I failed (laughs) failed that. They might also feel a bit rubbish about it. But what they will then do is they will think, well, it's not because of, you know, it's not because of something innate in me. It's like, okay, well, did I study enough? Did I find out what I actually needed to learn? Did I go to bed late? So suddenly you've got all these things that you can then do differently for the next time you have to do the test. It gives you a way forward. So you see failure as something that's actually empowering. So, so failure is feedback. So if yeah. you've got a growth mindset, failure is feedback. And it will give you information about what you need to do to do better. And what you find when you, because you started off talking about perfectionism, and what seems to be the case is that people see two different kinds of perfectionism. So there's sort of a healthy perfectionism, and there's an unhealthy perfectionism. So the healthy perfectionism is where people are striving for excellence, they really want to do their best. But if you're a healthy perfectionist, then actually you don't get derailed by failure. Mm. Failure is feedback. I'm learning this because I really want to achieve mastery over this topic. On the other hand, the unhealthy perfectionists are the ones who are basically trying to shore up their self-esteem by being a perfectionist. So for unhealthy perfectionists, what they are, they are much more worried about failure than other people. And their self-esteem is really linked to achieving highly. And what you see is you see people who are unhealthy perfectionists are more likely to be fixed mindset. And healthy perfectionists are more likely to be growth mindsets. So would you say that unhealthy perfectionists also find it very difficult to take negative feedback or criticism? Because they're seeing that as failure or on their part... Yes, I think yeah. it can be much, much harder because it's because it's such a threat to your sense of self. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to take it on board because also if you feel that, you know, you things have gone wrong because you are a failure, there's nowhere to go with that, right? You're a failure mm-hmm. or you're a success. If you're a failure, what do you, you know, that's it, isn't it? You're not going to hear the people saying, actually, maybe you could have tried mm-hmm. this or done this or whatever. Um, and again, she's got research, Carol Dweck has got research to to back that up about what happens to people when they, you know, when they do experience failure. And people with the fixed mindset are, are less able to take on criticism than people with growth mindsets. And does do you think this applies to really high stakes failures as well? Because I guess when you're working as a doctor, or I guess working as a teacher, you know, in, in those circumstances where other people can be affected by your failures... Do you still get people who are able to take on that learning, even if they've made a a dreadful mistake that's affected somebody else? Do you think it is possible to say, okay, that wasn't the right thing, but actually anyone in my situation might have done that, and what can I learn from that, and can I move on healthily? So I think part of that is probably about the culture of the Mm organisation that you are working in, and whether you're helped to think like that or not. I mean, that's kind of an interesting question. They have done some research looking at growth and fixed mindsets within business environments. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's a hard one, isn't it? Because, I mean, intuitively, the answer's got to be yes. 
Yes. Because, you know, nobody's made a perfect doctor or a perfect teacher. But we expect ourselves to be 100% perfect, even whilst we're learning on the job. And I guess the culture of the organisation needs to be such that there are safety nets in place. Mm. That's the mistakes that we make aren't going to be so catastrophic. I mean, Mm. that's why you have pharmacists and hospitals, you know, double checking everything the doctors prescribe. And I was so grateful when Mm. when they were double checking me because I was learning how to prescribe. And I think sometimes we are our own harshest critic, aren't we, in those sorts of situations? Well, I think that's right. And I think when you, you know, you're hiring somebody, it's, you know, you're very unlikely to get somebody who is the absolute perfect package right from the start, aren't you? Because actually, as you say, people don't come into a job knowing absolutely everything. They come into a job and they know quite a lot, but there's always going to be learning involved. And if you, if you don't accept that, you're slightly living in an unrealistic world, aren't you? So actually, you know, people do need to to be able to learn as they do the role. I guess when you look at all the really senior business leaders, or the, certainly the people I respect the most, mm. the speakers and the authors, they all very much embrace failure and learning. And, you know, they say, you know, unless you're failing, you're not taking any, uh, you're not learning anything, you're not mm. going to progress, you're not, you're not learning how not to do things. I think when they invented the smallpox vaccine, they asked the guy, you know, how did it feel to fail hundreds mm. of times when you're inventing the smallpox vaccine? He said, oh, I didn't fail a hundred times. I just I just know a hundred ways in which you can't vaccinate <laughs> the smallpox. Absolutely. That's been really key for me. Because, you know, when I've been doing my training and my resilience teaching, sort of going in and, and doing something that, taking a risk mm. and knowing that it might not work and then learning what does work mm. and what doesn't. So I think failure is unbelievably important. And certainly in schools, you would be, hopefully talking to kids about the fact that actually you need to fail to learn and actually when things are really difficult and really challenging that's when you you learn the most I mean quite often with my kids you know we'll when we're having supper I'll say to them so what mistakes did you make today and if they say none I'll say well that's completely hopeless (laughs) you know you're clearly just going over stuff that you already know you haven't learned anything today if you're not making mistakes because you're not really pushing yourself and actually, I think that's quite an interesting way of upending the normal way of thinking about things. And actually, they are all very willing to give things a go. You know, one of my children is very keen on cooking and, you know, quite often it's a disaster, whatever it does. But, you know, we have a mantra and we're like, you know, the first couple of times you make anything is always a disaster because, you know, you're just learning how to do it. And the next time you do it, you'll know how to do it better. And, you know, that's, that's like how you learn, right? And so despite his many appalling cakes that he's made, actually, he's incredibly resilient. He will try anything. And because he's now trying lots and lots of different things, he's actually become a really pretty competent cook, yeah, he makes great cake. He does make great cakes. He does. <laughs> but, but but it's that it's that willingness to embrace failure and not to be, you know, not to see it as the end of the world. Failure isn't the end of the world. Failure is feedback about, mm. you know, about how to do things right. And I appreciate it is much more high stakes if you are a GP, and you know there are potentially very very serious consequences if you if you do get it, you know, wrong. Mm-hmm. But actually. Unless you adopt a, you know, I'm trying things out, I'm learning, I'm searching for mastery approach, it can be quite difficult to stay motivated when things things go wrong. Mm. And things will always go wrong in life because that's life. Yeah. You will have successes and you will have failures. And I suspect part of the issue for lots of the GPs that you're working with, Rach, is that 
you know, lots of them have been hugely successful all the way through their academic lives. You know, they're the kids who've come top at school, they've got into medical school, which frankly is, you know, is a pretty starry achievement themselves. So they've just had success after success after success. And I think for people who, who spend their lives dealing with success, actually sometimes when you come across a failure, you haven't learned how to deal with that because you've had limited experience of doing that because most of your life has been a success. And I think if you go in with a sort of fixed mindset, then I think, you know, so I'm a success, but, you know, I am a success because of who I am and I'm, you know, I'm clever and, you know, great, then that makes it, it quite difficult. And of course, the reality, the actual reality is you're where you are. Yes, you might have been born with natural talents, but you probably were bloody hard. You know, you didn't give up. You got on with it, you organised yourself, you went to your lectures, you did all of those things. But if you're only focusing on the, oh, you know, it's because of, you know, my innate talent, as opposed to, actually, I did all of this other stuff, which actually played a really important part, then you just set yourself up for a very tricky situation when something goes wrong. I think particularly as a GP... A lot of the patients you see, nobody knows what the, the right thing to do is. There's a lot of uncertainty and we use time as a diagnostic tool to wait and see if this will happen and that will happen. Mm. And then when the, the thing happens that nobody could have predicted, we then beat ourselves up that we couldn't see into the future. And, and, and the sustainable way to work, because you're spending your whole time feeling like a complete failure because time took its toll and the natural course of events mm. occurred that nobody would have known about and there wasn't a right answer but for some reason because of the way we were taught we think there should be a right answer mm. we're really unkind to ourselves well also again that's one of the perils of having a fixed mindset so if you've been taught you know oh you know well done Rach you know, you're so smart you're so brilliant you're so clever you did that you know you aced that exam you picked things up so quickly what often happens with people who have a fixed mindset is that they start to believe in some ways and often in the nicest possible way that they are slightly better and slightly superior to other people (laughs) because you know they've done all these amazing things right and again there's research that sort of backs that up but then of course in the situation you're describing where you're saying well actually you know, really, how could people know that this was going to happen because it's not completely predictable? Maybe if you're sitting there thinking, but actually, I'm the person who's, like, because I'm meant to be better than everyone else, and I didn't pick that up. That's another reason to beat yourself up around, mm. about it. And actually, you know, like everyone else in the world, what you're doing is you are, le- you, you know, you've got to where you are because you tried hard, you didn't give up, you organised your resources, you, you know, you keep learning, you read the books. That's how you... You know, that's why actually you are where you are. So there's quite a lot of self-acceptance needed, really, and self-compassion. I was just thinking, we're doing a bit of a survey at the moment just about mm. developing an online course, and we want to know from people two things that keep them awake about their jobs. Mm. We're getting some feedback now, and a lot of people, it's, I'm worried that people will think I'm incompetent. I'm worried that that's I made exactly. a mistake. I'm worried mm. that I didn't do the right thing with a patient, over, you know, mm. and that's what people are worried about. But that's very fixed mindset Mm. so you want to get things perfectly right Mm. because you're worried about failure or you're worried about being judged as opposed to perfect mastery perfection which is i just want to get to grips with this i want to understand what's going on which is quite different to i want to do it perfectly because i'm worried i'm going to be found wanting in some way and if you read a lot of the leadership books and i can't remember which book it was if Mm. i remember i will put it in the show notes Mm. that someone was saying that they have this culture 
in their organisation where they give radical, honest feedback. Now, I'm, you have to have a very safe organisation for mm. that, but this guy describes how you know, he was a CEO and he had an email from his CFO mm. one day saying, Bob, Bill, whatever his name was, I need to talk to you about that meeting. You really didn't give your best, mm. you know. And he said, brilliant, thank you. They went for coffee and he just gave him no holds barred mm. feedback. And they reward people for giving each other negative feedback because mm. they know that's the only way they're going to grow. And I just think, gosh, that's quite, you know, I think I would be pretty devastated if I someone gave me that. You know, because as much as I like to think I've got great yeah. mindset, I think I probably am pretty fixed. But then I compare that with, I'm learning ice skating at the moment. <laughs> I'm really bad, but it's quite fun. You know, I'm desperate for the teacher to be looking at me when I do my turns so that they can tell me exactly what I did wrong yeah. so that I can make it better. So when it's like a specific skill, we can maybe take it more. Whereas if it's how we led that meeting, we possibly feel it's a bit more personal to get these this radical feedback. But is that because you believe that you're a good leader of meetings and that's just something you're born with? Mm. I get it. You're pushed for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a slash quiz but it's not is it because leading meetings is entirely a skill it's a skill but so what's interesting is that people can believe some skills are innate and some skills are learned so for example i totally think that social skills are just skills that can be learned mm. you know so even if you are completely hopeless at having friends age 10 you can be amazing at having friends you know a couple of years down the line mm. if somebody shows you what to do how to do it you practice it you get feedback but lots of people will just say do you know what that's you know you're either a really friendly person or you're yes. not or, and people will talk to that about sports or some people will think, you know, sp- sports, you're just, you know, natural talent or you're not. So it's sort of trying to work out in yourself, are there particular things? Because, Rach, you might think, you know, sport is all, obviously it's all about the lessons that you have and, you know, the practice. But you might, in the back of your head, think, or oh, maybe leading a meeting, actually. <laughs> like, that's just something I'm good at, right? I'm just good at that. Which was brilliant when the meetings go well, but as soon as the meetings yeah. don't go well, maybe you're thinking, oh no, I've yeah. been found out. Maybe I'm not as good. But there's no way to improve or you you are not then able to reflect on actually could I have, you know, thought about the agenda beforehand? Could I have, you know, put timings down, worked out the timings beforehand so we're not it's not dragging? Could I have worked a method out to get or introduced a system to make sure everyone has a say in this? That's such an interesting point because you know, when I think about practices that I've been in sort of coaching because Mm. they've been scared to give feedback to someone Mm. or someone's behaving in a bad way. They're so scared to give the feedback to that person because it will be taken as such a personal judgment mm. on the person. Whereas actually, you're right, it's a lot about the skills that, that that person has. And when I was teaching professionalism at the university, I we used to talk about this fact that actually professionalism is a skill. There are lots mm. of skills in it, leadership skills, teamwork skills, patient safety, just like communication. So 
20, 30 years ago in medicine, we used to think that communication was completely innate, that mm. you, couldn't, you couldn't teach it. And so when I went through medical school, I, we had very little communication skills. I think I had one session on open and closed questions, and that was pretty mm. much it. And now the students, it's a massive part of the course because we recognise that you can teach communication and the students are drilled in every single minute of it and then they get to do it with actors so that they can experience yep. failure. But we didn't have anything like that when we were growing up, did we? No, absolutely nothing. But this whole, you know, the fixed growth mindset thing has been, I suppose it's come into since the turn of the turn of the century. Yeah. You know, when we were, you know, students or kids, it just wasn't wasn't really a thing. In the eighties and nineties, it wasn't a thing really. Certainly wasn't well known. I mean, it's kind of interesting because now they talk about it a lot in school. So Mm -hmm. if any of the people listening to this have got kids, it's entirely possible that the kids might well know more about this than than the parents Mm -hmm. do because they, you know, it's been promoted quite heavily as an idea. Yeah, which I think is really healthy, isn't it? Yeah, it's really healthy. Because we were seeing medical students coming through that had a very fixed mindset. And, you know, when you're at school you're generally top of the class achieving well yeah. and then suddenly you take your medical school entrance you, you get in mm. and you're a small fish in a very big pond yeah. and it's the first time you ever fail an exam and I mean, it, I, I'd failed my driving test before I went to yeah. medical school but that was only because <laughs> I I drove into a van while I saw my driving test which apparently, that's quite bad apparently you're not meant to do apparently they have to fail you if you do that <laughs> I did try it I did say to the instructor do I have to fail he's like mm. <laughs> It was just, it was just the wing mirror. Yeah. But honestly, that was the first thing I'd ever failed when I was 17. I was absolutely gutted, and mainly because it meant I couldn't go and see my mates who lived a long way away. But yeah. But, but high achievers, I think, are often particularly susceptible to it because, mm. you know, and, it, you know, for the best possible reasons, because, you know, there's been emphasis on trying to maintain people's self-esteem, parents will say to their kids, you know, well done, you're so smart, you're brilliant, you achieved that, you did that so quickly, you didn't make any mistakes, woohoo, well done. And actually, that's not what you want to be doing. What you want to be doing is praising the process more than the end result. Because if you say to a kid, well done, you did that so quickly, what they're hearing is, yeah, I'm a success because I did that so quickly. But then what happens if they don't do something quickly? What happens if they do it slowly? What they're hearing then is, I'm a failure because I did it slowly. Or, yeah, you're a success because you got it all right. But what does that mean if you don't get it all right? What that means is you're a failure. Mm. So what you want to be doing is praising the the effort. So you want to be saying instead of, well done, you did that, you know, you got it all right. You might say, wow, you got it all right. but, But that must have been because you worked really hard, didn't you? I know you really struggled with that, but you didn't give up. Or... Gosh, you were really organised, you know, you worked out exactly what you had to do. You sat down, you studied hard every weekend after, you know, mm. after school or, you know, you didn't know what to do and you asked for help. Fantastic, because again, what you're doing is you're teaching them about the process. You're teaching mm. them how to become good at something. You're not just focusing on the end product and, yeah, on the end product. What's really interesting through just chatting here is that I'm starting to realise that I'm very growth mindset with my kids about maybe academic achievement and music. Mm. And, and we made all our kids learn a musical instrument because it forces them to be bad at something and learn that if, you know, nobody can pick up a clarinet mm. and be brilliant at yeah. it. Well, and definitely you can't mm. pick up a violin and be brilliant at it. <laughs> and I played the oboe and you mm. definitely can't pick up an oboe and be brilliant at it. So you have to work. That's achieving stuff. But actually, I do sometimes say to my children you know one of them's particularly kind oh yes you well you're a really kind person so that you know I saw oh yeah you're really like this or like that and actually that's not giving them any so as soon as 
one of them isn't kind, it's like, well, that wasn't very kind. Oh, I'm, I'm a bad person, mm. actually. How can you learn to be kind? Or how can you yeah. learn to have to make friends better yeah. or social skills? And So you could mm. be saying things like, you know, I, I thought it was fantastic the way you noticed that you know, your friend was really upset and then you went and did something about it because, again, it's just talking about the Mm. processes. But it's kind of interesting as, you know, as people enter the workplace, you know, if you have generations which have been told you're smart, you're, you know, well done, you do this really well, what happens where they come into an environment where actually at work, as somebody's boss, you're not going to be saying, well done, I'm so impressed you. (laughs) you know you did that all the time because Mm. then you have to slightly change well you you slightly have to change how you do things because the kids coming in are thinking why isn't why aren't I being told I'm brilliant all the time what's going on and sometimes you have to move them from a fixed to a growth mindset as well in terms of how you talk to how do you do that if you have got someone who has a very fixed mindset how would you move them towards a growth mindset so can you think of an example in the sort of experience of g anything that gps are doing what that might look like and we'll have a think about how that might happen well i think if you've got I'm thinking of complaints, actually. So the thing that GPs really... Well, doctors, well, mm-hmm. frankly, anybody struggles mm-hmm. when you've had a complaint. And I was talking to a, a friend who's a trainer who has a registrar who's just had a complaint. And it's not a huge complaint, but it's really distressing for my friend yeah, to yeah. see her registrar with a complaint. How can you help that registrar not feel that it's the end of the world? So I suppose it's about reframing things that we talked about slightly earlier mm. on. So there's something about the culture of yeah. the organisation. So it just accepting that mistakes are part of mm. life and, you know, everyone makes mistakes. It's what we do with them afterwards. Mm-hmm. So if your colleague is then actually saying those things to their registrar, you know, mistakes are not like mistakes is how we learn. You know, they are inevitable. We would prefer them not to happen, but the reality is they do happen. What can we learn from this? Let's see if we can unpick it. So the more somebody feels judged, the more likely they are to reject feedback. Mm. So if you can try and take a step back from that, I mean, obviously, if it's negligence and they've done something really horrific, that's sort of slightly different, isn't it? Most complaints aren't negligence. No, they aren't, exactly. So perhaps they didn't quite know what they had to do Mm. or something went a little bit wrong in the organisation. communication was a bit communication, exactly. So it's about using it as an opportunity to for feedback and learning from feedback and it's about collectively taking responsibility as an organization for that becoming part of the culture i guess one of the things would be that the the senior doctors in the practice model model it yep so i think the significant event meetings that people have are really powerful because you bring your own uh, the the, the temptation is to bring a significant event that shows you in quite a good light (laughs) Mm. I wonder what we learned from that yeah what we learned was I'm really fantastic but these things happen but what if you genuinely bought significant events where you were a bit shit and you say look guys this is when I was tired and I was trying to do Mm. too many things and I forgot to do a referral Mm. and you know and it it ended up badly or you know so I think probably modeling it and being vulnerable as leaders so so I think that's incredibly important because Mm. I think leaders set the tone for organizations Mm. and I think if you have a leader who is not actually being honest and is trying to sort of actually make out to maintain their own self-esteem that actually you know their own failure is nothing actually to do with them I think that's unhelpful because then that sets the tone for the whole organization because people notice what leaders do all the time they notice what leaders do and you can talk the talk but as a leader you don't walk the walk then you are not creating 
you're not going to succeed in creating the culture that you want. So I would absolutely agree with that, Rachel. I think that's really important. Mm. So part of me is just wondering what you would do if it wasn't a registrar that had a complaint, but actually it was maybe your senior partner or a colleague and they had behaved badly or there was something they were doing that they needed feedback on. And I guess having difficult conversations is a whole other topic, mm. which I'll get you back. We can talk about difficult <laughs> conversations. But how do you get a colleague from a fixed mindset? How do you help shift a, mi- a colleague from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? So I think, again, what some of the research shows is that actually just telling people about the ideas mm. of two different mindsets can really help to shift people's ideas because if you don't know about it then you know you're sort of a bit stuck really so there's there's a lot of information out there at the moment so there's ted talks i know you you sometimes show a particular ted talk to one of your training courses yes so carol dweck does a 10 minute ted talk and before i do my shapes talk at resilience training i email out and get everyone to watch it so that's Mm. a good one to watch and we'll put that in the show notes I mean, Carol Dweck wrote a fantastic book called Mindsets. Mm. So, and again, we can put links to that yeah. on the on the show notes. That's her easy read version. And it talks about how mindsets work with kids, in relationships, in businesses, with sort of sports coaching, um, really readable, very accessible. She also has written another book, which is like The Research, which is slightly more yeah. technical. But if you were interested, you could you could look that up mm. too. But there's just a lot of stuff out there on the net because it really has captured a lot of people's imaginations because it seems to be sort of an essential truth about, you know, because it explains how people can maintain their motivation in the face of, you know, really quite severe difficulties and why some people just crumble, Mm -hmm. who are often very, often very successful people, just crumble when they experience failure. And certainly in terms of developing resilience, I really think it's something that's worth thinking about. But you sort of have to slightly, you know, f- fight fight it because you've been brought up thinking, mm. you know, I've done so well, you know, because I'm just a smart person, right? And you've had that message or thought that for the past 40 years or 50 years. Actually, you know, to shift to something mm. else is can be quite tricky. You know, you, I mean, if you've watched the stuff and you read the stuff and you think, yeah, that really makes sense. To remind yourself of that when you do experience mm. difficulties mm. is probably pretty important. Yeah. But again, I think if you are working within a culture where these things are just part of the culture, you know, feedback is fa- failure is feedback, mistakes are feedback, let's learn from it. Yeah. That's fine. And I guess that's the basis of QI. And we, on the Lead Manager Strive course, we teach about the, the PDSA cycle, which is plan, do, study, act. So you put in mm. one thing, you study what happens, you then, uh, well, sorry, you plan it, you do it, then you study it, and then you just act on the, on the feedback you get. And, and quite a lot of things just don't work. And so I love the idea of seeing failure as feedback, not as a judgment, just as a feedback about something. And the more feedback we can collect, the better. So I'd encourage people to actually go and actively seek out feedback. If you're too worried, you know, just go and ask people brutally for, for difficult feedback. One thing that we've done with our team is, what do I do well? What would make me even better? <laughs> so yeah. it'd be even, even better, better if. Even better if. Yeah. That's a nice one to do. That is, I agree. And while you were talking, I was just remembering, I think it was something that you said to me, that just using the word yet. Oh, yes. So, again, with kids, it's one of the things you often do, and they'll say, oh, I can't do my math. And you might say, I can't do, you can't do your math yet. So there's just that hope. You know, there's always that hope that, you know, it can get better. I think the, thing, the other thing to stress about this is that growth mindset is not just about 
trying harder. That's not it. So you can't just say to a kid or to a doctor or someone, just try harder without showing them what they have to do to get better. So you have to provide them with the support to be able to achieve the goal and then stress how important it is that mm. you know you that they do these things so it's a mixture of effort and strategies yeah. and it might be that for you know what strategies that work for 90 percent of the population don't actually work for the bottom you know the other 10 percent but actually there will be something that will help you know that 10 percent you perhaps you just haven't worked out what that is yet but you keep plugging away you'll find it and actually you know you will get better and it applies to anything yeah it's interesting I think my question was slightly flawed anyway is what can you do to get a colleague to change their mindset because actually you, you can't change colleagues mindset ever but you can provide information and you can act in a way and you can give feedback and you can make suggestions mm. that will then help mm. them change their own mm. mindsets I guess leave the book lying around in the toilet yeah. stuff like that I mean you know so I was looking at this stuff again before this podcast and I was asking my kids and you know, I was saying to them, you know, I was directly asking them questions, which is, so, you know, do you think you're just born with a certain amount of intelligence or, you know, do you, do you think you can get smarter? And I was very pleased to hear they all went, of course you can get smarter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about, Mama? <laughs> but actually, you know, having those kind of conversations is kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Because it mm. sort of opens up discussions. You know, I don't know whether you would have opportunities to do that as GPs, whether you get together, at, you know, during lunch breaks or... Well, that's the problem. I think a lot of people don't, don't. because they're just, well, they, they feel they're too busy. Yeah, I mean, in yeah. my mind, that's a complete fallacy because all the research shows that if you take breaks, you'll be more productive. Yeah. Connecting at work is a massive well-being yeah, factor. Exactly. And, you know, so you'll be more productive. You can then ask your colleagues their mm. advice on stuff. So it's daft not to take breaks mm. and have lunch together, but a lot of GPs find it hard to get together. But I think absolutely that's a brilliant place to model, to model it, yeah. growth mindset and to just assist people with being able to develop their own growth mindset really so do you have any top tips for people who may be suffering from perfectionism beating themselves up about the times when they've not got things right or thinking i'm a bad doctor mother coach (laughs) accountant lawyer i know what can people practically do to move themselves forward in this so i think there is the you know there's sort of elements of cbt that you can Mm. look at so you can say you know i'm a terrible doctor well what's the evidence for that what's Mm. the evidence against that you made one mistake but actually for the last 365 days of the past year actually you've done a bloody good job right is there a different way to see this okay so i made a mistake but actually i was exhausted you know i'd seen 35 patients that day you know there were sort of you know reasons perhaps why it went wrong so checking your thinking I think is really you know can be important I think you know I would thoroughly recommend reading the mindsets book Mm. because I think it's incredibly powerful and watching the the YouTube video because again I think it's really does make you sort of stop and think but you know I think all the other stuff that you talked about earlier the things that about promoting people's well-being and resilience I think making connections with people at work building a support network just cannot be underestimated when you're somebody feeling under stress because often also that gives you the opportunity if you're feeling bad about yourself to someone to go hang on really that really makes sense when you know we've all been there maybe nothing's going on so connection's really important I'm just being kind to yourself. Yeah. You know, you can't, you cannot do everything right all the time. It's just an impossibility, right? No. Someone once said, and I'm going to get this wrong when I try and explain it, but 
in baseball, a good batting average is 10.0. So that's if you hit 10 balls out of a thousand that have been pitched. And what sort of a baseball player are you if you hit 10 balls out of a thousand that are pitched? I think you're a professional. Oh my goodness. So that's a 10.0 batting average. I'll have to check. Mm-hmm. It's either every 10 out of every 100 or 10 out of 1,000. Yeah. It's something ridiculous like that. Mm. And that's pro. Yet we expect ourselves to have like to hit 100 out of yeah. 100 balls out of the park. It's not, but it's not possible. It's, it's not, not possible. possible. And even computers break down. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, so I think just recognising good enough and we're going to make errors and that's fine but an error and a mistake isn't a failure unless you don't learn from it yeah i would agree with that but it's really hard it's really hard that's why you need a bunch of really nice friends yes. to go offload yes. to yes that's why you need a group of lovely people to have coffee with once you a do. week yeah. you do absolutely so i just encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast who thinks they may have some perfectionist tendencies go off watch the ted talk read the book and get a group of peers around you just to chat things through with because that's incredibly powerful incredibly protective and realize that you're doing a great job you really really are so nikki thank you so much for being on the podcast we'll get you back because i think there's a lot more we can talk about all these sorts of things and nikki really is my go-to person for any sort of psychological thing so we're going to get you back so thank you very much it's been a great pleasure thank you for asking me on rage see you soon bye bye Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>